Imagine you gave a dollar a day to a worthy cause, but you did it along with thousands of Jewish people around the globe, and you all donated to one cause every single day. Thousands of your $1 bills pulled together towards one cause daily. What's the impact of your dollar then? You don't have to imagine it. You can and should do it by joining Daily Giving today. Head over to dailygiving.org and become a daily giver today. That's dailygiving.org. Jewish Money Matters, episode 340, Ask Yael. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show, another episode of Ask Yael Friday, when I answer your questions. And today we have questions on spending choices, questions on the volatility of the stock market and our feelings about that, and negotiating, negotiating uh, for a new job, especially when you're um, and young and starting out in your career. All right, so that's what we are coming on the pipeline today. But first, let's do a little bit of a recap this week. Did you catch the fun episode with the star of the Netflix show, Jewish Matchmaking? Have you watched the show? I think this is even better. No, I don't know if it's better, but it's a really good interview. <laughs> a really, really good interview with Aliza Ben Shalom. Aliza is a friend of the show and she's so great and she's so fun to be around. If you didn't listen to the episode yet, do yourself a favor. You're really going to like it. It's such a delightful and refreshing episode. You'll be surprised at what she shared regarding the behind the scenes of landing this opportunity with Netflix, which by the way, took seven months of work, seven months to shoot. Uh, we talk about all the behind the scenes, the fact that it ended up being a big Kiddush Hashem, a sanctification of God's name and how that came about. Plus, of course, we talked about dating, the daters on the show, dating and money and a lot more. Really a great episode. It definitely got, uh, it's been getting, been getting a lot of shout outs on Instagram. Thank you to those who were cheering on the episode and tagging me along. Thank you very much for that. If you didn't listen to it yet, be sure to catch it. All right. So this week, we're going to say thank you to Chevy Truck 39, who left a five-star review on July 10. And she says, short and sweet, love this podcast. Very inspiring. Thank you, Yael. Well, thank you, Chevy Truck 39, for leaving this sweet review. I'm glad that you're here and I'm glad that you love it. Please send me a message and tell me that you're Chevy Truck 39 via email, Yael at yaeltrush.com or DM me on Instagram and I will quickly respond with a calendar link for us to connect. All right. So today in the mailbag, we've got Ellie who asks on LinkedIn, how does one strike a balance between financial responsibility, spending with their, within their means and making purchases to improve their quality of life, even if they can't afford them entirely? Wow, this is a hard question and, and a good question, Ellie. And I'm glad that you're thinking about this. And I think it's something that many of us deal with. I think that, yes, we have to be financially responsible and spend within our means and, you know, try to fill those buckets of saving and investing as much as possible. And then there's, you know, investing in quality of life. And that means different things for different people. And not only is that very subjective, but it's also very malleable or very susceptible to change and to external influences. That's what I mean. So what I would say here is, 
you know, we have to get really clear about two things. What are your values? The things that are very, very important to you, not goals, values, goals are important, but even preceding setting financial goals, we have to know what we stand for. What are our values? Because those values are going to be what you want to be advancing with every financial goal and even with every decision. So let's say one of your values is self-growth. And that manifests in different ways in different people. So for you, let's say part of your quality of life upgrade or feeling like you've have a good quality of life is affording opportunities that satisfy that part of you, you know, um, self-growth. So, you know, it might be that you can't afford a self-growth, I don't know, retreat every year, but you can treat yourself to certain classes or you live in a type of community that offers the type of opportunities for self-growth that would satisfy that need or advance that value, or you look for such a community or such a neighborhood, right? So, you know, these type of these this this type of analysis and, and kind of an inner work is not something that we just do in one day. But I do want you to start thinking about these things. Let's say family and peace in the family or family unity is a very strong value for you. Well, maybe perhaps then you need to upgrade to your your living quarters so that you can fit in more space for family to spend quality time together. And so that's going to become a priority in terms of financial goals over, you know, other things. Or maybe part of advancing that value is in spending more on family experiences, maybe, you know, that experiences, even if even if they're not very luxurious or super luxurious or expensive, but since what you really value is family unity, as long as that's what you're advancing, you, you're going to be okay with the trade-offs that you're making in order to get that. And sometimes we get that, we, it doesn't even have to be that expensive. And, 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 and even if, even if it means a trade-off, which usually everything is a trade-off, right? You're okay with the trade-off because you're actually putting money where, where your heart is, where, where, who you, you know, where your values are. Okay. So, you know, sometimes it might demand that you do spend on a family trip rather than on other things that might be nice. Let's say, I don't know, a new car or a new gadget for the house or whatever, because well, at the end of the day, these things are not really advancing something that's of a real core value. So I'll invest the time and money in organizing and taking the family trip or the family experience over these other things. These things maybe take a back seat, at least for the time being, until you know I've made that investment that I want on, on that part. And so with that, I also want you to start thinking. So first, a lot about your values, and those are going to be the drivers of your financial goals always. And then the other thing is that we want to be clear um, about what are needs and what are wants. This is actually something really fun and really interesting. It's not necessarily an easy exercise. For many people, it is easy and, you know, they can see it very clearly, but for many, it's not. So I encourage you to do a brain dump of things that you'd like to invest in and, and, and things that you want to spend, that you need. Are you spending money? You're looking to spend money, right, on because whatever. Every, we all have a list, right? And, and, and try to put them under a need category or a wants category. So if we had a piece of paper, we would divide the paper in two, right? So one side is needs, one side is wants, and we would do a brain dump there. And it could be really, really eye-opening because sometimes we can see very clearly that there's a need that needs to be satisfied and that kind of bumps up in the order of priorities of spending. And it might might not even be that costly to address it. But because we haven't been putting it in writing, we keep going going around living with an unmet need 
And often what happens is we start spending only on wants and wants and wants, and we still feel like, wait, what's happening? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm still dissatisfied with where my money is going. Well, look at unmet needs. So really, I'm not joking. Keep a running list and try to see if you can satisfy some of those needs. Because otherwise, there's there's that feeling of something is missing. I don't I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. And it's because there is a need that n- very often it doesn't have to be met with money, by the way. Um, so but and, and very often it's little money. Like to give you an example, let's say you're driving around with a broken wiper on your windshield, right? And every time it rains, it's a disaster and you have a long commute and you're going months on end like this. You know, it's less than $50 and it's a need. Like there's no reason why you should be driving like that, right? It's not safe, etc. It's uncomfortable. So, so you spend the $50 or probably less instead of on, I don't know, takeout, right? Sushi, which is clearly a want, but you feel so much better, right? It just satisfies you. Like you feel like a mensch, right? And the sushi was nice, but like, you know, this is just so much better. Why? Because it was a real clear need to, to make your life easier and safer, right? So nothing wrong with wants. I want to make sure nobody thinks that I'm against wants. Of course, nothing at all wrong with, with, with having wants. And I just think we have to have a running list of both and periodically look at them and say, okay, which of these do I want to address this month? And for sure, we have to be sure to be addressing anything that's really a need, a car repair or a medical expense or time with our spouse. I mean, there's so many things that are needs that very often, you know, again, they might require money, but they don't always require money. I mean, let's say, let's take time with your spouse, right? That one is really pretty easy. It doesn't take much money. You can make up to go on walks at 7 a.m. or at 7 p.m. every day for 30 minutes around the neighborhood, right? No cell phone, no kids. Before you know it, you're already satisfying that need of togetherness and you didn't have to spend a penny and you got exercise in too. So, you know, or it could be some other activity, you know, it could be lunch every Thursday. I don't know. Tea time. I don't know. But you know what I mean. Okay. So keeping a running list of those needs uh, and wants. And then as we're having our money days and checking with our numbers, seeing like what needs to be satisfied, right? Because it just makes it really interestingly easy to now see what things are a priority. Okay. So again, all of this to say that Ellie, quality of life is something that I want you to decide what it means to you. And I want you to decide it by getting super clear on what your values are. And if you're married, your spouse's values and having conversations about that and getting super clear on your financial goals and making sure that they're advancing at least one of those values and also super clear on your wants and needs. Then the numbers piece becomes so much easier. The decision of whether to pay for something or not, or delay it, making trade-offs between several things that demand our dollar bills it all becomes so much easier. So it's a lot of inner work as well as the practical stuff, you know, the, the inner work before the numerical stuff, but that's what's going to drive it. Okay. And, and, and so it, sometimes we might say, well, well, that's kind of not easy. I always will say like, let's understand that this is the long, short road. This is really how we get to fulfill what we say we want, what we want our money to do, right? To be doing. So all that, I think I gave you a lot of homework there, Ellie. Good luck. Keep me posted. All right, Jeannie, she is retired and she says the volatility of the stock market in the last two years has definitely gotten to me. Any advice? 
Well, I hear you, Jeannie. So a few things, and I talk about it a little bit more inside my online course, Recession Proof Your Life. You can get that at yaeltrush.com forward slash recession proof. And so one of the things I talk about there is, you know, when we're experiencing this type of turbulence, it's a very good time to reevaluate our investment goals, to check in with what those are, because they may have changed. And, and, and everyone at different stages of their life is going to have different investment goals. And I would say that in your case, you're in retirement, so your goals are going to be very different than mine, for example. And you probably, and I don't know when you last checked with, you know, what it was that you set out for your investment goals, right? So I think these are good times to check in with that. And I would say, you know, you probably don't want a portion of your, a, a, a portion of your money to be invested as aggressively as I would because of my age, right? You want some of it to be invested aggressively, of course, because remember, retirement can be 20 plus, 30 plus years. So there definitely is a long-term view. We live long lives these days, thank God. And, you know, even between, even within retirement, there is a long-term view. And that's something that Emily Guy Birking and I speak about in an episode that we dedicated to retirement. Um, and I'll put the show notes in that, the link to that episode in the show notes. But Nevertheless, some of your money for sure you want to be more conservative with. And so if you're looking at this turbulence and going nuts over it and feeling like, wait, I have too many eggs in one basket. I don't think I'm diversified enough among asset classes. Given my stage in life, I could probably have more in liquid savings or in CDs or other or other cash alternatives or bonds. You know, I say, really, first look at where you're, what are your investment goals today? Because they may have changed from the last time you sat down to do this with a financial planner or whoever you work with, right? And then definitely have a meeting with that person, have a meeting with your financial planner. They should be able to hear your concerns, hear the shift in goals if there is one, and help you put all that together in making decisions that are rational, that take away any emotion or panic. And then the other very practical thing is to look if you've um, if you've checked with your goals and you know everything is set up the, in the way you want to given your financial goals and it's just that this turbulence bothers you because well it, you know it's you know it's uncomfortable then my advice is don't listen to the news so that's my second piece of advice right You've already done the work. You know what your goals are. Everything is set up the, one, the way you want. And so this is all bothering you, but like you're not changing course, really. You know that you're not changing course. Well, part of this is we shouldn't then be looking at the news, you know, because what can we change? If you have a plan already in place that advances your goals and that plus plan does not need to be changed, then keep cruising along, stick to the plan, but don't make yourself vulnerable to drastic changes of plan because you're filling your brain with news constantly. I have a student um, who's also in retirement in the retirement stage in her life, and sh she hasn't looked at the stock market for 20 weeks now, which is, she says, a huge achievement, or maybe it's 25 weeks, I want to say, 25 weeks. Um she keeps me updated. She sends me texts because she's doing that because she knows that she has a plan in place that really shouldn't change. It's just that the stock market volatility is upsetting and it's upsetting to her. And she knows that she anyway is not planning on touching the money that's invested in stocks in the near future. She has plenty other money to live off of. So she says that watching the news or even checking her portfolio makes her sick, makes her crazy. So 
there and she decided she doesn't look she tunes it all out uh, and then the other thing that she does and she's very good at this is she um and this is my third piece of advice she studies bitachon every week she's in my weekly class she just gets it in gets that drilled into her head right um and she says that's kind of what's saving me all these 25 weeks um because truly that is so important and it it helps her withstand that volatility you know as i always say the stock market can be volatile but your emotions should be volatile they shouldn't be like following the trend in the stock market and that's what bitachon achieves for you so two uh, two sources of reference and and help here if anyone wants to check out my course recession proof your life that's really the most affordable way to work with me and that's at yaeltrush.com forward slash recession proof and if you want to join our ladies bitachon class um we call it developing trust, but it's really bitachon. Uh, send me an email. Send me an email ASAP with the word bitachon because we're in the middle of changing the registration page. So I just need your email so I can send you the schedule, the Zoom link, updates and replays. But once I have anyway that registration page, I will probably advertise it here on the show. But that class is every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and everyone registered gets a replay of the course. Uh, I mean, a, a replay of the class, of course. Uh, so just shoot me an email and I'll add you to the list and you'll be in the loop and get your replays every week and get, you know, schedule changes, notifications or whatever it is. Okay. All right. So on we go to Rachel and Rachel says, what are your best tips for negotiating? I'm in the interview process. Rachel's also in her 20s and this is her first big job after graduate school. All right. Great, Rachel. Congratulations. This is exciting. It's exciting times for you. The first thing that I want to address is mindset. Rachel, please know that employers expect negotiation. This is rule number one. This is something to keep in mind because you want to get rid of those nerves. <laughs> and maybe take the Bitachon class too. No, but I'm kidding. But no, you don't want to feel like you're doing something inappropriate by coming back with a higher request after they make you an offer. So that's the one thing that the first thing I want to say, because I think a lot of us have not been taught this and we are kind of scared to ask for more. We think it's going to, you know, kind of play against us or whatever. So number two is when do they do give you the offer they're going to have to get give, they're going to have to give you time to consider you don't have to reply right away you're giving yourself 24 hours you know to con- or maybe 48 hours to consider the totality of the offer so so the salary let's say they come back and the salary that they offer you is if it's below that what, what you're expecting okay so we're going to have to talk about that right but also we're going to look at all the other things. We're going to look at 401ks and matches and work flexibility and perhaps bonuses. What are the other perks to this job? Is it a lovely culture? Is it a culture that you really think you're going to thrive in? Do you feel like you could really fit in here and have some semblance of work-life balance? Um, Also, as you're early on in your career, is this a place where you think you'd be mentored, where there's a culture of mentorship, where you can see that there are growth opportunities for you? Is this an opportunity that, you know, maybe you're looking at it as helping you advance your career trajectory. Of course, you're not going to know all of this before going into a job, but you can definitely look into these things by reading reviews. You can ask around um, and and you could also, you know, you do a check-in with yourself, right? So I gave you some ideas there, but ultimately you have to ask yourself, what are the non-negotiables for me? What are the things that are important for me at this at this stage? What are the things that I need to have? Okay, so 
consider, let's consider the totality of the offer. Look at more things than the money itself. Yes, salary is important. And also starting out, it is important because as you grow in your career, your next salary increases based on the number you land now. And then that keeps growing from there, right? So sure, it's important, but it's not everything. Now, if you feel like you're getting lowballed because you have done the work of looking at places like Glassdoor and Comparably.com, these are really good resources. Um, and maybe you're probably aware of, of the, these at this point, but these are two good places I would refer you to check out comps as well as, you know, not, not just looking at these places. I want you to do that, but also try to talk to other people. So if you've done this, and you, if you see that the offer is low compared to other similar positions at other firms in your area, because like I said, you've done your due diligence, then you have a legitimate case, right? And then at that, in, that, in that instance, you can say, you know, I really appreciate this offer. It is a very well-rounded offer, but the salary is a bit of a sticking point for me. And I've done some research, right? And that's how you do it without feeling like it's icky because, you, you know, you because again, it's numbers based. You've done the research. You're showing them the data. The numbers don't lie. The numbers here show that competitors are offering 10% more or 15% for. And so you want to ask for more and you want to ask for more now. <laughs> Asking for 15 to 20% more in a job negotiation at the beginning of a job is not inappropriate and it's not going to make them take the deal off the table. Um, so don't worry about, you know, resigning. Don't worry that they're going to resign the offer. They, they could say no um, to your ask, or they could come back with another number and they, they could meet you halfway, but they're not going to not give you the job. They can't, they can't fire you. They haven't hired you yet. Okay. So this is part of the dance that legitimate com companies are prepared for. And let's say they give you a blowback for negotiating, right? And with, uh, then I see that as a red flag because look, once you're in it and you've been there for six months or you've been there for a year, it's much more difficult to ask for a raise in the early part of working somewhere. So this is your moment to push. It's not later, it's now. The moment to push is now and to try to get the best offer. And again, if this is not, you know, then that could be a red flag, okay? So then the last thing that, um, like if they're giving you a hard time, um, the last thing that I wanna say is, I always like to think of, 20% is something that I'm going to like push myself towards, like ask for 20% more than what they're offering. And here's why. And it's going to sound nuts, but there is tremendous gender disparity and the data is out there to prove it right across the board. And by the way, even in Jewish religious institutions, I've had peers tell me they work for religious companies, Jewish companies, and they pay their male employees more because they are the breadwinner and you're not. And they've literally heard this from their managers, right? So the reality is that you have to assume that as a woman, they're going to offer you less than ma than a male colleague. And, and I, like, I would just like take that as a gift and don't even be angry about it. Just know that that's kind of a, a an unconscious bias that like that's out there. Right. And so you have to assume also that your male colleagues, by the way, are going to ne negotiate much harder because we haven't been very trained as women in the mindset of asking for money, negotiating, etc. So unless this company is showing their numbers, unless they have salary transparency, 
you've got to go in, unfortunately, guessing that they are underpaying you. <laughs> I know I'm usually not this type, I'm doom and gloom, but you know, I'm just kind of being practical here. Uh, I, I wish I'd known this in my 20s. I wish I'd known to ask for more. I could have gotten more. I just didn't know. I didn't know that that was normal and expected. And I didn't know that I was anywhere given being given an offer that was less than my what my male peers um, were given. So and not only that, they obviously negotiated. So I was, you know, it's something that we don't necessarily think about. Okay, so keep it in mind, but also do your research and see what other companies are offering. So go strong and ask for more. Unless, of course, they might blow you away with their offer. Like it might be amazing. And let's say they give you far more than what the competitors are offering and what you're even thinking. But Still, if that's the case, even then, ask for something else more. Maybe it's another week of vacation. Maybe it's working from home part time or, you know, working from home a couple days a week. I don't know. Like, just get something extra out of this negotiation. This is your time to ask for it. That's that's a point. Okay. All right. And that's a wrap, my friends. Thanks to Ellie, Jeannie, and Rachel for your questions. Please head over to the Apple Podcast review section and leave a review right there. It's on your app the app where you're most likely listening to the show um, and it's pretty easy to do just scroll down and you'll find the review section and you just click those stars and click that thing in your little box and you type whatever you want to type all right i hope everybody's beating the heat somehow I don't, I don't know you guys it's been a tough summer for me this year i mean i and i like the heat but this has been a bit much so stay cool and i will see you here next week shabbat shalom <laughs>